Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Brianna Zink, Senior Director of Healthcare Project Strategy at Infor, about how hospitals should handle life after the COVID-19 PHE. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Brianna Zink, Senior Director of Healthcare Product Strategy at Infor. Welcome, Brianna. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to have you here. And uh, before we start talking about the uh, the end of the COVID-19 PHE, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and Infor. Yeah, of course. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm Director of Product Strategy in Healthcare at Infor. I'm focused primarily on our workforce management solutions. So we have uh, time and attendance scheduling really aimed at the nuances of advanced nurse scheduling. And then we also have a patient acuity and workload solution that I really focus on. But Infor as a whole is a uh, we're a clinically connected healthcare operations platform. So we essentially offer kind of everything on the on the back um, back office to run a hospital or a health system. So everything from finance, supply chain, HR talent, payroll, and then workforce management. And we also have an interoperability solution as well, so that all of those systems are essentially driven based on um, information in the medical record or the EMR. Excellent. Um, so let's talk about the uh, the end of the uh, COVID-19 public health emergency, um, which is supposed to happen on May 11th, and we'll, this will be uh, publishing a little after that, but what are the implications of the end of the, uh, the public health emergency? Yeah, so a lot of those kind of standard things, I'm sure everyone's been kind of hearing and reading about. Um, there's millions of people potentially standing to lose their Medicaid coverage um, you know, that kind of auto re-enrollment is going away. So uh, individuals need to be aware if they need to re-enroll. I've seen a lot of surveys showing that a lot of individuals as of, I think the latest I saw was in January, but that millions of individuals weren't necessarily aware of that. Uh, so many are kind of at risk of losing Medicaid without necessarily being aware there's steps that they could be taking to keep it. Um, so that's going to have obvious impacts on hospitals and health systems. Their payer mix might shift a little bit. Uh, a lot of my conversations um, with my focus on workforce management, my background is in nursing. I worked as a nurse before coming to Infor. So a lot of my conversations are with nurse leaders and they're not as concerned with the end of the public health emergency immediately. There could be kind of downstream impacts, but they feel like those might be, you know, a year or two away. So a lot of them have been more focused on the positives um, around kind of the innovation that happened so quickly and um, kind of what changed in nursing for a better, and they're looking at ways that they could continue um, leveraging that new technology or the changes that were brought about rather than kind of stressing about the end of it. So I've seen, I've seen kind of good and bad, mm -hmm. um, I guess, concerns and excitement around it. I mean, is there, you know, obviously, you know, we saw telehealth really get kind of pushed to the forefront and get, you know, kind of put into practice a lot more than it had been before. Uh, you know, we've seen obviously things like vaccines get developed pretty quickly. Uh, is there any kind of concern that, you know, things will slow down in terms of innovation, uh, you know, after the uh, public health emergency goes away? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think things may slow down as far as just kind of the speed at which healthcare was innovating because there's not as urgent of a need any longer. But I think it's going to be a great time for everyone to kind of take a step back and evaluate the different processes that they implemented or the different technology that they implemented to really take a look at telehealth and determine what is working well, what needs tweaking, um, kind of do we have all the safety measures in place to safely offer this telehealth? Are there are there different 
um, regulations that we may need to evaluate. So I think it's going to slow in the in the manner that we're going to take a, a closer look under a microscope at really what was impactful and what should we carry forward. Yeah, and in terms of telehealth, I mean, obviously, you know, getting back to in-person visits is is preferred, um, but I imagine that uh, there's definitely some some ways to use telehealth to kind of be more efficient. You know, some visits don't need to be in person and, and figuring out that kind of balance is important, I would think. Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, the big the big one we saw or the big benefit with telehealth is uh, mental health or behavioral health. And I think that that's really important to continue because it is it can be really difficult for patients having a an episode or a, um, an incident to be able to, you know, get a ride to get that care, to get that care in person. And I think that we've been able to be so much more powerful at those early touches with those patients and potentially stop something to be from progressing to be a serious issue. Um, I think that we've been able to to help patients at much earlier place in their um, illness. So I think things like that will be very important to continue. Um, I'm also curious to see uh, as we do kind of shift away from that I think that there's going to be more and more um, kind of d disease categories that will be a very great fit for telehealth where others might need more in-person kind of deeper diagnostics, maybe more invasive procedures to diagnose. So I think that there's going to be a more and more delineation of what's appropriate for telehealth. But I do think it's still a great initial touch point to make healthcare accessible to individuals. Um, and in terms of adopting new technologies, obviously, you know, the last three years, we've sort of really kind of brought that to the fore. How, how is that going to work going forward? Do, does it, will uh, healthcare organizations be more open to new technology just from, you know, what they've learned over the last couple of years? Yeah, so that's a great question. I'm actually at um, a nursing leader conference. It's the AONL conference this week. And a lot of the themes have been around technology and nursing specifically um, really working to understand what technologies are out there. Uh, a lot of nurse leaders are kind of aware of AI and machine learning and that those will probably be beneficial, but what really are they? Mm -hmm. So I think that the pandemic and the, the quick pace of innovation that was kind of forced on nursing is something that really opened their eyes that technology can be the key to, to kind of navigating anything we face in the future, whether it's um, hopefully not, but another pandemic that we face, or we're looking at a huge nursing shortage across the globe. Um, so I think a lot of nursing leaders and health systems are looking at what technology can we use to kind of augment that nursing workforce and help offset that nursing shortage that we're looking at. Yeah, speaking of that, um, the shortage, you know, what are you, what are you seeing, you know, you're, you're talking to, to nursing professionals right now, what are you seeing in terms of sort of, I don't know, the, 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 uh, the feeling around, you know, where we are right now, are they, are they pessimistic about, you know, bringing more people into the fold, um, people, because I know, like, I've talked to, from people I've talked to over the last couple of years, obviously, there's a little concern about, you know, attracting, you know, new people into nursing, and then obviously retaining those who were, uh, you know, considering leaving it. Yeah, um, I don't know if I'd qualify the attitude as necessarily pessimistic, but more just concerned, I guess those two can kind of relate at times. Um, but there are a lot of strategy, a lot of focus on first retaining the current nurses they have. Uh, the average age of the nurse, I think right now is 53 or 54, right around there. So a lot of those nurses are looking at retiring within the next decade. 
Um, but a lot of health systems are looking at how do we retain those nurses? Maybe we offer more flexible scheduling where they can work just one shift, or maybe they can sh shorten their shifts. And instead of working the traditional 12 hour shifts, maybe we start offering some six hour shifts because those are much, much easier on your body. Um, other retention strategies are looking at, you know, nurses earlier in their career, how can we enable them and help um, upskill them so they're ready for leadership positions. And then on the recruiting stand, on the recruiting front, a lot of hospitals are looking at recruiting earlier. I've talked with hospitals that are uh, working on kind of providing education as early as like junior high so that, wow. that people in those schools are aware that, hey, healthcare is a great field that I could go into. Nursing provides so much flexibility and so many different, so much variety with what you can do from day to day. Uh, so those are some of the strategies, but the um, early recruiting is something that I've seen more and more that's really interesting, but it makes sense because if we're looking at a lot of nurses require, retiring in a decade, those that are in junior high could be entering the workforce in a decade. So, And then, of course, there's also the, just the concerns, you know, the statistics have been out about workplace violence and, and you know, whether it's from patients or other staff, you know, nurses seem to be kind of right on the front lines of it all. Uh, you know, in EDs and, and even just uh, dealing with upset families and, you know, uh, family members and, and, and patients. So, you know, what are some of the ways to kind of uh, deal with those issues and, and keep, you know, obviously folks take that into consideration when they're getting into the field or when they're thinking of leaving it. So, you know, how do we, how do we kind of uh, deal with some of those issues? Yeah, that's definitely a, a huge concern and something that's not not there's no easy um, silver bullet to solve it. Um, some of the the things I've been seeing are first making ensuring that hospitals and health systems have an environment that encourages reporting of those incidents and that makes it easy to report. Um, I know when I was a nurse, I wasn't always sure. A lot of things you just kind of push aside because you're like, oh, it's going to take me so much longer to report this than what it's actually worth. So ensuring that when things are reported, they're followed up with, that they're easy to report. Um, I was actually at a session this morning at the conference I'm at, and this exact topic came up. And one of the interesting things that one of the health systems is doing is actually working with local um, judges and magistrates to ensure that individuals who assault nurses and health providers um, are convicted rightfully. And it's a the state that was talking at this time has a law in place that it's a felony offense to assault a caregiver, but they're not seeing it truly followed through in the in the court system. So it was kind of uh, wild to think about how um, enforcing that that nurse and healthcare worker safety really extends beyond just the walls of the healthcare, but actually out into the community and potentially government as well. Uh, getting back to sort of this, uh, you know, the post PHE period, um, how should hospitals have be prepared to kind of deal with that and to kind of transition into sort of you know getting back to I guess quote unquote normal. Yeah, so um, I think I kind of just mentioned this a minute ago, but I think now is a great time to start evaluating are all of the the new processes or procedures that were implemented and the new technology, is it still going to be beneficial moving forward or was it just something that was kind of, you know, a band-aid or something to deal with a sudden influx of patients that we saw? I think there's also going to be a lot of preparation for if something like this happens in the future, I think we'll now be set up in a much more powerful position to handle it smoothly. Um, so those are kind of the main main things that I think we'll see happening. Yeah, I mean, in terms of supply chain, obviously there were a lot of issues, you know, with that, not just in healthcare, but within, with everything over the last couple of years. But um, 
you know, is that something where, you know, organizations will really kind of look to, to just have way more supplies on hand, you know, in the event of another disease outbreak or, you know, God forbid, a, a pandemic? Yeah. Um, and that's something that I kind of hear tertiary to what I do and I'm not incredibly involved with, but I know a lot of hospitals are working on setting up kind of like um, warehouses where they can store some additional supplies to be ready for that, especially PPE obviously was a huge focus. So looking at how you could be ready if there's a, a sudden massive increase in the need for that. Um, and then I, I know that others have been negotiating other contracts where they may have secondary or third uh, companies that they could work with if, they're, if their kind of main supplier is having a supply chain issue. So I think there has been a lot around just kind of building up that supply chain to ensure that they're more prepared for a disaster situation like that or a pandemic. Um, and, and just in, in general, not even just supply chain, but, uh, you know, you know, you mentioned some of them already, but, you know, in terms of lessons learned from the pandemic, um, you know, what are some things that healthcare organizations kind of have taken away from the last three years that they can kind of use going forward? And, you know, maybe it's not even pandemic related, but just sort of ways to kind of be more efficient with how they, you know, take care of it, you know, huge influxes of patients. Yeah. So um, again, I'm going to circle back to kind of the nursing view on this. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's been a, a big lesson learned or just not necessarily a lesson learned, but kind of eye opening to how much technology can help um, kind of expedite the care that is being provided at the bedside. So things like uh, we talked about tele telehealth, but we didn't necessarily talk about um, virtual nursing. And I, I think that there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, just kind of in the technology. But in virtual nursing, a lot of hospitals are installing equipment in their different rooms where it's kind of a bi-directional feed of audio and visual. And they'll have one nurse, usually a nurse that's very experienced, that can care for uh, you know 15 to 18 patients in a medical surgical area, for example. So that nurse will sit at a, at a desk and they'll be able to do things like answer call lights and direct the correct person in the room. So rather than having a nurse the nurse's station run into the room and see what's needed and it may not be something that necessarily requires their scope of practice so they're able to do things like that and they're also able to provide a ton of care that's not necessarily hands-on so admission assessments medication reconciliation um, patient education all of those types of things they're able to do that takes a huge piece of the workload off of the nurse that's actually at the bedside um, and it has just made huge impacts in the hospitals that have implemented that and a lot of that there was definitely some virtual nursing programs happening before COVID, but it, it turned into something that was really eye-opening as a great way to ensure that those bedside nurses were able to handle their patient workloads in a safe and effective manner. Um, so I think things like that will continue on and were a great lesson learned and kind of the ability of technology to really help with patient care. Is virtual nursing becoming um, pretty widespread now, would you say? Yeah. <clears throat> it's... So I, I mentioned I'm at a nursing leader conference right now. I was at a CNO forum last week and almost every single nurse leader I've talked with is either piloting this or implementing it in some manner. Um, it, it seems like it's taken off in kind of the larger hospitals quicker. I think they just are able to take better advantage of potentially kind of economies of scale discounts or have the, the funding to be able to implement it because it is a big lift to put that technology in the different rooms with the cameras and the TVs and the audio piece of it. Um, but I would say just about every nurse leader I'm talking with is looking at how they can implement that or rolling out a pilot or evaluating some manner of virtual nursing. 
would you say that the the public health emergency was uh, pretty successful? Like, do you, do you see that happening again, you know, if we we're in a similar situation somewhere down the road? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there was definite definite benefits to it. You know, it was so important in the kind of the height of the pandemic at the beginning to have accurate numbers on infection rates and things. So um, things like the, the tests that were part of, that were sent out as part of the public health emergency, I think really lended to the population as a whole, being able to track that better and report that and be able to test at home and self-quarantine if you were, if you had it, but were, you know, okay to stay home. Um, a lot of the changes to insurance, I think were really necessary to, to help people seek care when they needed it, rather than having kind of that financial worry or loom over them that maybe would prevent them from going in and then be much more acutely ill and maybe not recover, have much more intense hospital stay than if they, you know, if they wait versus if they seek care early. So I definitely think there were benefits that um, at the individual person level in the population as well as for hospitals. Well, let's hope that we don't have to do that anytime, uh, anytime soon. Um, <laughs> Agreed. Priyata, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right. That wraps up episode 84 of PSQH, the podcast. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again and stay safe.